If you love Push Black's Black History Year, you'll love our newest podcast called Two Minute Black History. In only two minutes, you'll hear little known stories about our people and reclaim the knowledge we need to take action and advance our community. To move towards the future, you've got to look to the past. Learn the history you didn't get in school. Tune in to Two Minute Black History every Tuesday through Friday, right on the Black History Year feed and wherever you listen to podcasts. In the 1940s, psychologists Kenneth and Mamie Clark conducted the renowned Dahl Tests, unveiling the deep psychological impact of racism on Black children. Rows of dolls, each representing various skin tones, were presented to the children. Their choice doll revealed how societal biases and negative imagery of Black people in media had ingrained themselves in young minds. The children's preferences spoke volumes, shedding light on the internal conflict between self-identity and racist external perceptions. I'm Jay from Push Black, and you're tuned in to Black History Year. Just as it did in the 1940s, society and mainstream media often leaves Black children today grappling with negative portrayals. But in the spirit of movements that proclaimed Black is beautiful and Black power, today's guests are ensuring the light our people, our kids, see themselves in is one of beauty and power. World-renowned child photographers, Karan and Regis Bethencourt, are husband-wife duo and the imaginative forces behind creative soul photography. With more than 10 years of working with hundreds of children, families, and brands, they specialize in child and lifestyle photography while incorporating authentic visual storytelling. The pair gained global recognition last year with their Afro Art Series, a collection that showcases the beauty and versatility of Black hair as a challenge to harmful media depictions of Black youth. My wife and I bought the books for our kids, took our kids to their fashion shows, and it was magical seeing my daughter's face light up when they see other Black girls and boys in these amazing costumes, photographed in amazing ways, up on the wall or walking down the aisle of the fashion show. Uh, and seeing what's possible when we take our images into our own hands. Their interview with our producer, Lynn Webb, will have you questioning the images you consume on the daily and maybe even the reflection in your mirror. First up, the story of a well-known abolitionist and the powerful photography that bolstered his work. Frederick Douglass was the most photographed person of the 19th century. His love for documenting life wasn't just for vanity's sake. He was doing it for something much more important. Douglas posed with intention, usually appearing in a suit, tie, and vest with clenched fists and his eyes staring directly into the camera's lens for more than 160 photographs. Combining his written work with imagery, he often included his portrait along with letters that he sent. Douglas believed in the power of photography, embracing the new media as a storytelling tool critical to spreading resistance messages during abolition. 
and he wasn't the only one. Sojourner Truth paid off her house by selling portraits of herself, expressing that she used to be sold for other people's benefit, but now she sold herself for her own. Photography helped Douglas pose in direct opposition to anti-Black societal norms. We were considered less than human, but he claimed an equal stake in humanity. Technology allowed Douglas to control his narrative, resist and contribute to the future. It is evident that the great cheapness and universality of pictures must exert a powerful, though silent, influence upon the ideas and sentiment of present and future generations, he said. Documenting our lives and movement is crucial for our future remembrance. Like Frederick Douglass, we should never let anyone tell us who we are or control our narrative. Only we have the power to do that. What does Black liberation look like to you? Let's start with Karen. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so for me, really, it just looks like, um, you know, really the empowerment of everyone in the Black community um, and being able to really dismantle those systems of oppression um, and really create a society where everyone really just can thrive and express themselves uh, without being discriminated against. So, um, you know, really, it's kind of just empowering us to be who we are. Yeah. Okay, so Black liberation to me is is kind of a mind state first. Um, okay. It's being able to move forward unapologetically and relentlessly to obtain everything you want to achieve. And then along the way, maybe support Black businesses and um, help Black economy rise. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, um, Black financial freedom to be able to let generational wealth help everybody. You know, just when you have financial wealth, we'll be able to put leaders that we want in place and political leaders in place as well. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like the whole, the yeah. whole ecosystem, right? Yeah. How does your work with creative soul photography, how does that aid in achieving black liberation? Yeah. So for me, you know, really, I think it starts with the youth, mm. right? You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of time our youth are over, are overlooked. Um, and mm-hmm. I just feel like, you know, that's where it all begins in terms of promoting um, positive representation and also just empowering them to move through the world as their authentic selves. You know, I think a lot of times when we think about our early years, a lot of us didn't have that freedom to walk around as our authentic and true self. We didn't, you know, we kind of waited until we were well into our adulthood before we were able to really, you know, just kind of feel like we could be ourselves. And some of us still don't feel that way. Um, And so I feel like if we start them early on um, and start them, you know, to just see themselves um, the way that they feel that they should be represented, then I think it does a lot in terms of progress and moving us forward in the long term. Yeah, because kids are the foundation, man. Like, uh, just basically erasing the negative stereotypes that we see on the internet and media is is kind of what we've we've been, um, our mission for the last couple of years. What what are the, the negative images that you're seeing that you're trying to counter? 
Yeah. So like I was actually getting ready for a presentation once and I was like, let me just go to one of our news outlets. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just literally um, searched for black team. And Mm -hmm. I would say like 95 percent of all of the articles. And this is today. This is present. You know, this is not like years ago. All of them. 95 percent were, you know, black teen was murdered. Black teen, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was arrested for this or, you know, like I literally could not find, right. you know, positive articles that featured black youth, you know, just right. in any of our news articles, you know, and I felt like that's uh, still what we're experiencing today. Mm-hmm. Like we get to meet, you know, just through what we do, we get to meet so many inspiring kids that are doing all these amazing things. And I felt like they didn't have a platform that they're not being mm-hmm. seen, right? They're not mm-hmm. being heard. Um, you know, we um, talk about in our glory book, we have a little, um, eight-year-old girl who was a neuroscience expert at the age wow. of eight, right? <laughs> uh, right? Like she understands college level neuroscience, right? right. Like what was I doing at eight, right? right. Like I was still playing with And we're not even right? in there. Like this it's not over exaggerated. I get so intimidated. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean they yeah. were doing all these amazing things, but I'm like, why have we never heard about these kids? Um we have a little boy, Caden, here in Atlanta mm-hmm. who raised fifty thousand dollars to um he revamped the old school bus and made it into a financial literacy <laughs> kids and actually they are um there's on hulu there's a new show called uh what is it my big rv something i don't know but it's uh with big boy mm-hmm. outcast um and they are renovating these rvs but kaden is actually featured on the show he is, is now you know teaching financial literacy to kids at the age of yeah. i think he's 12 now yeah. <laughs> so yeah i'm like why are we not hearing these stories right like we definitely mm-hmm. you know just need to hear more of these stories because i think once kids see like, oh, wow, this kid is doing this. Like, you know, right. I can do I can do this, too. Or I can do, you know, that dream that I had that I've always wanted to do. But I've been told that I was too young to do it or I couldn't yeah. do it or I didn't have the right. resources. And not only that, but, um, you know, adults can learn from children, too. I mean, like when you see another adult that's um, an entrepreneur, it can be too. I won't say too, but it can be uh, overwhelming to think um, that you can do mm-hmm. the same thing, um, especially if uh, you feel like you're not. Um, uh, educated enough or just have the money to do such things. But, you know, if you, if you hear a child do it, it's kind of like small bites, you know, you can take it in (laughs) more if you see a child do it. Yeah. <laughs> like I told Reg, I was like, "Listen, uh, can we go get an RV?" Exactly, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm just saying. Exactly, <laughs> I am not going to let this 12 year old yeah. outdo me right, yes. in the game of life. <laughs> right. This is <laughs> right. Yes, right. <laughs> I'm losing. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Uh, it, it's, it, it makes yeah. sense that that would be Big Boy of Outcast behind that series yeah. mm-hmm. because here at mm-hmm. Push Black, one of our guiding mantras is from his partner Andre mm-hmm. Three thousand who always Mm. says i tell it like it is and i tell tell it like how it could be right and that and Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is you can see that just wrapped in the mission behind that that series yes but that does beg the question do you think that black people have good have been like good shepherds of their own image in print and social media Um, i think there's a I think it's, there's both, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's both sides. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I, and I, you know, I'll admit I indulge in, you know, some of the trash TV mm-hmm. just like anyone mm-hmm. else, right? <laughs> but at the same time, you have to understand like, wow, like, man, I hate the fact that our youth, this is kind of the example that they have set, you know what I mean? For yeah. a lot of things, right? Like that, you know, the reality TV standard, I guess, um, yeah. is there. But, 
we do have, you know, other sides of it as well, right? Mm. Like we have other shows that have more of a positive spin or a positive representation that, um, you know, that are out there as well. So I think there's both sides. I think, you know, through history, it's definitely been used in both ways, right? Um, Like talking about how people use their image. You know, I feel like Black people oftentimes have had to, um, kind of take control of their own self-image, right? To be able to show what we want mm-hmm. people to see rather than them defining mm. it for us, right? So because, you know, yeah, we can sit here and kind of let other people define who we are for us or we mm-hmm. can show them like, no, this is who we really are and this yeah. is how we want to be presented um, and be seen in the world. Yeah, it's kind of hard though, man. Like, I mean, you think about it, it's like, uh, yeah, we do have both sides, but who's going to make the youth go over and check out positive, you know, uh, content, you know what I mean? So it's more about Mm -hmm. like how we get our content in front of, um, of teens, because right now it's mostly teens, um, racing teens, you know what I mean? With their own content. Very true. And yeah, it is, it is, you have to be very deliberate, right? Because you have to make it into something that's, you know, cool enough mm-hmm. for them to want to be, you know, to want yeah. to indulge in this content, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, even when we're incorporating um, bits of African culture, we still try to do it in a way that's modern and relevant. It feels fresh and it feels like something that kids want to be a mm-hmm. part of, right? Mm-hmm. Because if not, it's going to go over their heads. <laughs> yeah, I definitely see that, uh, see that in your work. And I see, you know, mm-hmm taking bits of our diasporic history and then kind of like blending it with a little bit of a Afrofuturist bent in the, some of the, the designs. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And it just yes. creates a very interesting story that you're trying to tell, connecting that history along with our future through these images of children. I think it's, um, you know, for so long, I feel like, you know, it's not been... I guess, cool, quote unquote, mm-hmm. cool, right? For yeah. kids to kind of have that sense, that bit of African culture, you know, um, represented, right? Everything is like, oh, whatever the brand of the, the mm-hmm. year of the That's moment right. is, right? That's, That's right. what I'm trying That's to right. do, right? <laughs> so when you think yeah. about like the, t- the kids and the teens, they want whatever yeah. brand, you know, um, of the moment is. They're not thinking about, you know, African textiles or fabrics yeah. or, you know, where it came from or, you know, um, anything parts of our culture. And so I feel like we're mixing uh, pop culture and relevant culture and infusing it with a little bit of African um, culture and tradition um, so that they still have that, you know, and see that connection that they can incorporate, you know, a little bit of their culture and still be cool and still be trendy, you know, Um, you know, and I want them to see that as black people, we are the trendsetters. We are, you know, we are the, (laughs) we set the standards, right? I really, I really hate the fact that we even have to do this because, you know, when, when our trend, like, like, like Khan said, we're the trendsetters and when our trend starts to die out, who, no, Caucasians pick up our trend and then and they, you know, they use it in their mm-hmm. fashions and then all of a sudden it's back on, you know, on set again. But that should be <laughs> something that we cultivate and it should stay with us, you know. Amen. I mean? Amen. Yeah. Um, I'm also reminded of the work of the photographer um, Kwame Braithwaite. Uh, who's kind of like the like oh, the yes. originator of the Black is Beautiful movement um, mm-hmm. and making that yes. connection about the political force of Black fashion and style in our self-presentation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, do you see a connection mm-hmm. between styling and adorning oneself and political actualization? 
Yeah, for sure. I feel like, you know, it kind of originates a lot of times in our community, whether it's, you know, making a fashion statement for some cause or whether it's um, wearing mm-hmm. natural hair. You know, in the 70s, mm-hmm. we were, you know, kind of using it as a political statement for yeah. Black freedom and Black power, right? Um, and I feel like it kind of comes and goes in cycles. But I feel yeah. like, yes, we definitely, um, you know, are often the start of something that can spark a movement. Sorry. It, I, I love yes. that you you touched on um, our representing and presenting our natural hair, because that's a very big um, yeah. part of a lot of the work you've done from mm-hmm. glory to now crowned um, is showcasing mm-hmm. the beauty of natural hair and kind of like reconnecting mm-hmm. us to it in very elaborate ways. What is beautiful mm-hmm. about natural black hair oh gosh i was gonna say everything like i just love the versatility of it and i think that was part of the um i guess the original spark for our afro Mm -hmm. art series so we decided to um start doing this series called the afro art series which showcased the beauty and versatility of afro hair um and i really just wanted to show people like gosh look at so how many amazing things that we can do Mm -hmm. with our hair Mm -hmm. we should be proud of it right like we should be proud that not everyone can do this with their hair right like this is something that is unique to us um, mm-hmm. that you know is something special in our community um, and I feel like for so long we've been told that it's less than or that it's mm-hmm. yeah. not good enough that it's not professional that it's not acceptable and you know I just really wanted to showcase a different narrative um, and show the beauty in it um, and I think you know kind of what started as conversations around hair ended up becoming a lot more, right? Because once we started to photograph these kids, that's when we started to realize like, wow, you know, all these amazing stories, all these kids, these, you know, wonderful kids that we were meeting, you know, what's the story behind them? Yes, mm-hmm. hair is, uh, you know, kind of at the center of what we do and what you see mm-hmm. in the pictures. But oftentimes we are telling that story of that child or, you know, whatever character we're trying to portray or whatever, you know, whatever it is we're trying to do. And so we are kind of using hair as um, the focus, but then moving beyond that and telling their stories as well. The two of you just backtracking a little bit, you both started as Mm -hmm. graphic artists and I would assume working like working under different, totally (laughs) different disciplines than, than than photography. Cause I, cause I, I've been that, that graphic art route. So I know, I know you you travel all over. It's like, I no, not this, not a calligraphy. No, no, no. Uh, (laughs) So, so when did you, you center in on photography was going to be the way to go? Cause I believe it started with, did it start with Regis actually? It's the photography part started with Reg. So we Mm. actually, crazy thing is we met as graphic designers. We were both, I was working in corporate America. My my background is actually in computer science. Crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) So I went to school for computer science. And when I graduated, I was working in the field of computer science, but I was still kind of playing around, I guess, then playing with graphics. That's what we did. Right, exactly. And there were... um, you know, these, we were both part of these, what they call urban graphic designer forums back then. And that's how we met. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that Creative Soul actually started as a 
um, web and graphic design company. And that was an epic <laughs> 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 yeah, That was an epic fail. So I was Look. like, you know, I was the, the corporate one. So I was more used to like corporate graphics and all right, that. And right. Red just like, he's like the city <laughs> urban artist. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> no formal training. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, oh, why, we, why can't we just, yeah. all day, <laughs> he's like, why can't we just day. do this font, right? Like, why right, can't we right. just do this pretty font? It looks good, you know? And I'm like, no, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> so yeah, that was an epic fail. Right, so when we right. moved, uh, so when we moved here to an Atlanta in 2006, mm. uh, Rach decided to go to school for photography. Mm. And I was still working in the corporate field. Mm. And I, I just kind of learned along with him. We started our business while he was still in school for photography. Um, and you know, in the beginning, we were doing a little bit of everything, whatever people would pay us for. That's what you do. That's what we would shoot, you know, yeah, whether it was right. animals, yeah. kids, yeah. whatever, you, weddings, you name it. Yeah, so um, eventually I thought about it. I'm like, wait, you know, if we're going to build our own business, why are we going to build a business that we hate? Yeah, right? Like, right. We would do a uh, photograph a wedding and we would hate it, you know, or, mm. you know, some of the things that we didn't like to shoot. And so I, you know, just said, you know, I didn't know at the time that we could make a living from just mm. focusing on kids, but we slowly started to just do more, I guess, out of the box concepts mm. with kids. And the more we did them, the more people started to ask for them and request them. And that's kind of how we were able to transition over into kids. Um, one last thing on that is that um, when we did start to focus on kids, we decided, let's try the kids fashion industry, right? So they've, um, that's basically photographing kids. Uh, child models and actors, their headshots, um, kids right. fashion brands, you know, doing kid uh, fashion editorials, things like that. Because I thought we could be like a little bit more creative there and do mm -hmm. something that's not mm -hmm. just the standard child photo shoots. Um, and we got there, we realized at the time it wasn't very mm -hmm. diverse. And um, a lot of the kids that had natural Afro hair, the parents would come in to get their headshots and they would have the kids hair straightened before they mm. came in because they thought that's what they mm -hmm. needed to do to get their kids yeah. to Gap or Old Navy or right. whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, we're teaching these kids at an early age that their hair is not acceptable, right. that right. they're not acceptable, right. they're not their, good enough, right? In their own house at that, you know what I mean? That's the yeah. one safe place exactly. to be able to not, you know, you yeah, feel safe yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's kind of how we, so we basically just kind of took it upon ourselves. We right. did a couple of personal projects. Now nah, what happened was, kids. Karen was like, no, I'm going to show them. That's exactly <laughs> Really? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what you said. Yeah, yeah, so yeah that's what I, I was that's trying to keep it PC, right? Let me just blow with this yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so we did a couple of projects showcasing kids looking fashionable with natural hair, and it you know just kind of took off from there. Wow! Yeah. And and was there any type of pushback to that? Um, I wouldn't say pushback, but I definitely think it was a challenge in the beginning, and especially in terms mm -hmm. of the industry, because, you know, um, at the time it was like all the, I guess, people that were in the kids fashion mm -hmm. industry, it was all about getting your work into these like kid um, fashion right, magazines right. and editorials and things yeah. like that. And, and we really week. just yeah. did not fit in at all. Right. With what we were trying to do, like <laughs> one, we had all these black kids with natural hair and like, yeah. you know, we were trying to use clothing and other things that we wanted to use. Yeah. We, and we, like, we like to use a lot of black vendors and clothing designers. And, um, but, says, you, know. you know, things like that. But like, you know, they were like, oh, well, you know, we really love your work, but it's not really a fit mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> um, for the magazine. Like, right. you know, we really have to have you know certain designers and you know this and that and yeah. you know really i think you know to be honest 
I think once I finally stopped trying to, um, I guess, kind of fit into yeah. that mold, uh, because I basically there was a point in time where I was like, you know what, forget it. Like we are about to do our own thing. And pe- the people that like it will like it. The people that right. don't, don't, yep. you know, I'm not even going to worry about trying to get into some of these kids fashion magazines or whatever it is that we're trying to do. Like, I'm just going to do, um, you know, kind of what makes us happy. Right. And I think that was really the turning point in our business. Right. Mm. That's when. Um, you know, we really started to kind of skyrocket because mm-hmm. we were kind of free to do our own thing. And then we were also creating our own That's community, right. right? Like this mm-hmm. is a community of folks that, you know, kind of felt marginalized before, right? So they might not necessarily have been in that industry. Like it was just kind of regular everyday kids mm-hmm. that parents are like, hey, how can I get my kids into this? How can I get my kids a photo shoot like this, right? So we were starting mm-hmm. to build our own clientele out separately mm-hmm. that was outside of, I guess, the norm or the standard. Yeah, and I remember in the beginning, everybody was saying, you're not going to get clients because mm-hmm. you're comparing right. <laughs> to one, you know, kind of one race, you know. I actually had, uh, I said, I remember clearly a conversation, and it was actually with a Black co-worker yeah, at the right. time that um, she was, you know, we were talking about our business. I was telling her, I really want to focus on, you know, Black kids, Black youth, and Black kids with, you know, natural hair. And she was just like, uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to do mm. that. <laughs> like, you know, you're not going to be able to make a living doing that. And I get, you know, it was coming from a place she was coming, you know, we we're in marketing. So she was coming from like a marketing background and like, you know, thinking yeah. about, OK, you're not yeah. going to be able to, you know, make a living. Just focus on that. And I mean, thank God we have we have yeah. been able to do that because we've been able to kind of find our audience and find mm-hmm. those people that right. are connected to what we're doing um, right. and see the value in it. And so it allows us to kind of do what we love, but also have clients that appreciate what we do. Is there a harmony between your vision of Black youth, the, 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 the images that mm-hmm. you're creating with Black youth? Is there a harmony between that and Black Joy? So for the release of our crown book, um, we decided let's not do like a regular um, uh, book launch party. We wanted to do a fashion show, right? And so we did, you know, it was kind of like a fashion show slash exhibition slash Mm -hmm. after party. It was just amazing, right? So we put together this like recap video on social media and oh my gosh, like it went crazy. Like I think right now it's over, like 1.6 million views on Instagram, one over yes. a million on Facebook. Um, and people, I felt like, you know, people just ne- just needed like a piece of mm-hmm. black joy, right? Like they just enjoyed seeing these black kids that were not not only unapologetic, they were, you know, rocking, uh, you know, this, these, the clothing and the hair, um, mm-hmm. but they were just having fun. They were just, you know, being joyous. And I feel like, with so much that's going on right now in terms of, you know, we see so many uh, negative stories in the media and things that just make us sad on a daily basis. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of good to see, you know, just pieces and even just moments of Black joy. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of times that's, um, I guess, our role as photographers, we're, you know, kind of inserting a little bit of, um, I, I just call it a safe space mm. right? mm-hmm. <laughs> for us to just have that moment of of joy um, every now and then. Um, and so I think when people see these images, you know, they just kind of um, enjoy just seeing kids, um, you know, having that sense of pride, but also being, um, you know, having that piece of joy. Yeah. And not only that, but, um, you know, like after we, we're done with a photo shoot and the, the parents get the pictures, maybe like, 
a month or a year later, we always get these emails um, telling us about how, you know, ever since that photo shoot, their kids have been blossoming. You know, they, they, they don't care if they get yeah. bullied. They mm-hmm. are trying to work, you know, and, you know, uh, they're trying to work themselves into society a little bit better than, you know, they were. You know what I mean? Right. Not they're just, embracing uh, their natural hair, yeah, you know. And that's then, a beautiful you know, just thing just, for me, man. Yeah. Like, and I was going to say also just to see the joy on the kids' faces afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Like, you yeah. know, sometimes they come in and they may be unsure. They don't know yeah, what's about yeah. to happen. You know, they don't. Uh, and then afterwards, like, you know, the parents are usually like, who is this kid, right? Like, <laughs> this is a whole different kid than, than yeah. what came in, right? I love the the most recent work, which is Crowned, where it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a little bit of like a, a remixing um, of... Mm-hmm are classic folk or fairy tales um, from the diaspora mm-hmm. and then even beyond. And there is a story depicted in there about how the zebra got its stripes with the young boy Tristan mm-hmm. who has a vitiligo. Yes. And it yes. is, it's funny. It, it's like, it's funny how the world works. I saw that in the book and then doing uh-huh. research for here, I came upon an interview that you did on CBS Sunday morning where they actually spoke uh-huh. to Tristan. I did not have did not oh, even yes. know that was going to yes, happen. Yes. And they actually well, spoke. Yes. They actually <laughs> spoke to him. I was like, I just I know that guy. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> I know him. We love Tristan. Yeah, he's like, you know. One one thing that we tried to do in the book, um, even though, yes, they are all, um, you know, uh, black kids in the book, but we wanted to show the diversity within the um, African mm-hmm. community, right? The African-American community. We wanted to show, you know, we have kids with vitiligo. We have kids with albinism. We have, you know, plus size models. We have darker skin tone models. You know, we have mixed kids. We right. have everything. You know, I love, uh, oh my goodness. I told Tristan, I was like, listen. If I had, you know, if I had your skin, I would just walk around, you know, with my, you know, showing it off every day. Right. Because it Mm -hmm. is beautiful. He actually has a um, I forgot what the actual um, um, type of vitiligo that he has. But um, his mom explained to me that um, usually with vitiligo, it starts Mm -hmm. in spots and then it can kind of move around as you get older. Tristan actually had it from birth um, and it is symmetrically just on one side, one half oh, really? of his body, and it Man. looks like a painting. Yeah, I mean, Man, that dude looks like, look like a straight up superhero. He does. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does. He really it does. It is amazing, right? Um, and so, yeah. you know, I just wanted to, you know, um, show kids like him, like mm-hmm. you know, that's something to be proud of. Like, you know, you are unique. You're you're yeah. one of mm-hmm. one, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, just really to to show him, um, yeah. really show them being the 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 main character and really being mm-hmm. the the hero in their their own stories. What I love that Karen does is that she consistently does that. Like when the um, the adult industry does it, they'll either have one iconic model that's like it, kind of like mm-hmm. Marlo, or and then or they'll just they'll go like right and, now. Uh, I think the trend is what uh, it it was vitiligo, and then they went to al- albinism. But they'll do it for a short period of time, and then just be yeah, out it's with just you know like forget mean? about it, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. So like yeah, like Carnoise, so, um, she consistently. Um, Play, you know, look for models like that and, and, and make sure that they're all represented. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They treat it like a trend instead of a, a life yeah, that right. it really yeah. is. Yes. It's life. Yeah. Yes. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a history of um, children tales being used to promote racist imagery or, or counter narrative to the Black mm-hmm. experience. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things I actually was mm-hmm. thinking about in, again, looking at and Crowned and seeing like the young... Yeah 
girl who I believe is um, Ebony Black, like kind of like your version of like Snow White. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, <laughs> it reminded me of, I don't know if you know the story, but there's in Warner Brothers cartoons, they have famously a mm-hmm. censored 11 cartoons that they, they actually oh, wow. took so out of. I had took no out of like distribution, <laughs> like they 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 banned them, and one of those mm-hmm. cartoons uh-huh. is actually a racist depiction of Snow White. It's but it's instead of Ebony oh, Black, wow. it's called mm-hmm. Coal Black. And mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. at Crown, it it made me wonder: is it important for Black people to reframe these stories for our future generations? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these stories, they are, you know, um, you know, you have to realize these stories were written hundreds of yeah. years ago. Right. And so a lot of the um, a lot of the narratives and a lot of the um, I guess, um, oh gosh, what am I trying to say? The uh, the morals right of the story, they were it's not really relative, relevant for today's audience. Right. So like we were looking at Goldilocks and we were like, wait a minute. Like, what was the point mm. of the story, right? Like, the little, little girl just goes in. Exactly. Right. That's true. Like, a lot, like a boy. Right. We were know? like, what is going on? Like, so, so it was, it was actually really cool for us to be able to kind of put our own spin on it and, you know, kind of rethink and reimagine um, what it could mm-hmm. be, right? Like, so in our, our Goldilocks, she's very rich, right? So she has a lot. Um, and she goes to the bear's house and they don't have much at all. Um, and, you know, she, at first she's kind of like, what is this? You know, like, mm-hmm. why, why don't you guys have the stuff that mm-hmm. I have, right? Um, and what she realizes is that even though they don't have a lot, they have each other, they have their family and they're still all very happy. And at home, she's often by herself because her parents are out working to, you know, buy her all these nice things. And and she realizes that what's most important are the things, the people around her, right? And the, her loved ones. And so, you know, it's really just kind of rethinking uh, what these stories could be. One of the things that we do also is we have a, a chapter on African folklore stories because we felt like, you know, those are not really uh, told. Like, you know, when did we ever learn right, about African right, folklore right. stories, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. hardly ever. Um, yeah. But even with those, you know, a lot of the stories were around, you know, the, the father selling mm-hmm. off the Right, yeah. you know what I mean, <laughs> or so you know what I mean, and it was it's yeah. kind of exactly. outdated, right? Exactly. And so we were able to kind of put our own stamp on it and make it a little bit more modern um, for today's uh, youth and today's society, and hopefully even tomorrow's. Documenting the violence that we have experienced over over time, you know, mm-hmm. everything from images mm-hmm. of you know slavery or um, Emmett Till. The yes. classic on, on the tragic right. open, open casting picture mm-hmm. uh, all the way down to now mm-hmm. you can go to mm-hmm. the, uh, the body cam footage that we see of atrocities being put upon yes. a, a yeah. black man. Yes. Do you believe that such documentation mm-hmm. has a positive um, goal in leading us to political change? Absolutely. I yeah. think there's a place and space for both, right? Like I feel like, you know, 
that's also how mm-hmm. we move forward. You know, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Emmett Teal's mom had never agreed to, you know, show, um, you know, his body like that, right? Like it wouldn't have sparked, mm-hmm. you know, some of the change that it did. Same with um, yeah. George Floyd's beating being aired on TV. Like, you know, oftentimes that could be the spark that people need because yeah. sometimes it needs to be that in your face moment, yeah. right? Like um, there needs to be that. But I think mm-hmm. there needs to be a balance, right? Because I think what tends to happen when they only see that side is they start to get this one-sided view of who right. we are, right? Like, mm. oh, well, you know, it's this person and they're, you know, if they weren't doing this or they're doing this all the time, or, you know what I mean? Like, and mm. they start to kind of get that one view um, and not really see um, a holistic view of like, no, actually we have kids that are out there that are doing these amazing things or we have, you know, youth or black men or whoever that are, mm. are intelligent, that are doing yeah. this, you know? And so I feel like it is important for them for us to showcase both sides. We're the resilient race that we are because of our tragedy. And I feel like our tragedy is our fuel, but we also need that driver because we still need to push forward. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it has, it's definitely our fuel. And uh, we are the strong race that we are as well because of that, you know, because mm-hmm. of our past. What do you say to people who might counter that the demand for positive Black images out there is Mm -hmm. just another form of respectability politics? Um, That's a good question. You know, I would say, oh gosh, how do I answer that? I know how Um, you want to answer it, but how do you answer it here on in? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You know, really, I, I would say that, you know, for me, the goal is nothing other than for kids to be able to um, you know, have a more positive representation of themselves and to see themselves in a different light. So, you know, for me, it doesn't matter what other people think in terms of, oh, you're doing this because or you're doing this because, mm-hmm. because I know that, you know, the number one goal mm-hmm. for us is the kids that, you know, mm-hmm. we photograph every day. And it's for them to walk, to be able to walk out Um, you know, with their chest held, you know, out a little bit more and their head held high and for them to not have the same struggles that we did. Um, You know, a lot of times, you know, for us growing up, you know, I didn't know my own natural hair until I was probably what, well into my 20s, right? Mid 20s. The funny thing is, uh, I remember my roommate in college, um, she had, this was like our sophomore year at college, and she had me cut off all of her relaxer. And I just remember the time, like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, <laughs> like, what are you, I mean, she had like really long hair, right? Like yeah, this yeah. long hair, like down her shoulders. And she had me cut it all the way off, you know, to the, until it was natural. And I just remember like, oh my gosh, like, and because it was like, I, you know, for me, that was kind of like unheard of at the time. Like, you know, what you mean you're going to cut, mm-hmm. you know, your hair and you're not going to, it's just going to be your natural hair, you know, but you know, eventually it took time for me to learn my hair and understand and, you know, understand why it was important for me to, to love and, um, you know, get used to my own natural hair. And so I hope that, you know, now um, with the kids, you know, being able to see themselves in books and in uh, their cartoons and TV shows that, you know, they feel more empowered to be able to, you know, walk in as their true authentic selves early on um, and not feel that they have to you know, be something different um, all through their their lifehood. What is photography's responsibility <laughs> to document reality versus imagining what it could be? 
So I think that there's um, a bit of responsibility of both, right? Like I think as an artist, we also, we always want to kind of showcase what could be. And we love, I love the fantasy, you know, I love the, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I love, um, you know, kind of playing dress up and, you know, kind of thinking about what could be. I think that there's a place, um, you know, there are obviously photographers that kind of focus, focus on, um, the documentary yeah. style of mm-hmm. it, side of it, right? Um, that, you know, have that. But I think, you know, the same way that I said earlier, there's a place for both. Like, I think that there's a need for both. Like, there's a need. I have a, a, a friend, a photographer friend, Lindsay, who um, that's her thing. Like, she is a documentary and editorial photographer. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing, you know, the images that she captures, right? Because she's capturing what's there in the moment, you know, whether it's telling someone's specific story um, or, you know, talking about, you know, um, and capturing um, what's going on uh, in Mm. the world at the moment. And then for us, you know, sometimes it's telling a kid's particular story, you know, like for instance, Mm. the the neuroscience expert girl um, and being able to show that in a creative way. And so sometimes Mm. we are taking their story, but then adding elements of fantasy and elements of mm-hmm. <laughs> surrealism um, yeah. so that it just makes a more interesting image. So I think that there's a way to kind of do both that we can, yeah. you know, take the character and take their story, but then um, use our creative yeah. skills to showcase them in a creative way. Yeah. I think it's all necessary, man. Um, from what we do and then the, the other side of it, of, of photographers keeping it real and, um, <clears throat> you know, just, just document reality, you know what I mean? That that's that's very necessary, and it's just it's kind of like us recording our tragedy, right. you know what I mean? It's it's necessary for people to see that because because this is our history, you know. Unfortunately, um, right. it's, who, it's what and you kind of want to show you know all I mean? all sides of it, yeah, yeah. And you don't know where you're going unless you know who you are, and this is who we are. You that's know what right. I mean? Cameron and Regis Bethencourt, thank you very much for joining us for Black History Year. Oh, man. man we appreciate it. Thank y'all for having us, man. Oh, thank yeah, you so much for dope. having us. This was fun. <laughs> that was Karan and Regis Bethencourt of Creative Soul Photography. To learn more about their incredible work, visit www.creativesoulphoto.com. At Push Black, We agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. We believe telling empowering stories on black life and history can build a more liberated black future. Being here with us lets us know you probably feel like that's important too. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value this work. And you make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most people do five or ten bucks a month, but really, everything makes a difference. Thank you for supporting the work. Black History Year is a production of Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. Our team includes Tariq Alani, Brooke Brown, Tasha Taylor, Somalia Rahman, Amber Davis, and Darren Wallace. Producing this episode, we have Sydney Smith and Lynn Webb for Push Black, and Ronald Young Jr., who also edits the show. Black History Year's executive producers are Lily Workna and me, 
Julian Walker. Peace.